Hey everyone, Preston Keller here. Welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We're so honored that you've decided to hang out with us here and thank you so much for sending our episodes out to your youth team members and to your youth pastor friends for posting about it on Instagram and social media. That helps so much. Every rating and review that you leave on Apple Podcasts just helps us get the word out to more youth pastors. So thank you for all that you do in that regard. And we've got another awesome episode lined up for you. We had a great conversation with Dr. John Deloney. He's a Ramsey personality. He's a frequent co-host on the Dave Ramsey Show and just recently launched his own show in Ramsey Solutions. It's the Dr. John Deloney Show. So make sure you subscribe to his podcast and Find him on Instagram. I'm so excited to share this episode with you because we dive into a lot. Uh, We talk mental health and being a whole leader and we talk about relationships. I know a lot of you youth pastors are are newly married. You've got young families. You've got maybe your first kid, but you've also got the weight of 30 teenagers you know that you're looking out for their souls and we know that there's a lot that's been going on in 2020 maybe you're a single leader that you you're leading a team not only your students there's a lot going on there's a lot of weight and responsibility that you and I carry each and every day and Dr. John Deloney helps us place a lot of it and just gives so much insight in this realm of relationships and being a whole leader So without further ado, we're going to dive into mental health with Dr. John Deloney. We're so excited to have Dr. John Deloney on the podcast today. He is one of the Ramsey personalities, a frequent co-host on the Dave Ramsey Show, and has recently launched his own podcast, YouTube channel, the Dr. John Deloney Show. So make sure you subscribe uh, to that, leave a rating and review, all the things. Dr. D, welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing outstanding, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. Um, for our audience, maybe uh, just introduce yourself a little bit, um, your background, what the podcast is all about, the show. You bet. Uh, real quick, I've worked in colleges for the last 15, 17 years, something like that. It's been a long time um, as a dean of students. So I've been working with students who are struggling and their parents are struggling when they've gotten to the end of their rope or the wheels have kind of fallen off their wagon and students who are in, found themselves in trouble, found themselves over their head. And then I've had the, the blessing of working with students who are just rocking and rolling. And three of the four universities I've worked at have been faith-based universities. And so I've worked with a lot of students who are heading off into youth ministry or theology professors who are helping gently unwind students who show up at college thinking they know everything and they've got to relearn some things. And specifically my dad, who was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator growing up. So he was a, he was a bad dude. He was awesome. But about halfway through my life, he transitioned almost over a weekend to becoming a youth pastor at our large church in Houston that I grew up in. And so I've had a heart for youth ministers, those folks who are working 24 7 365 and most people think y'all are just planting parties but really you are planting seeds that um will 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 come to fruition years down the road so i've got a passion for what you do so um and then on the show we are taking just live calls think um dr laura dr phil and dr dave ramsey all mushed into one 
Um, and we're taking calls about people's mental health and their relationships and their lives. And we're getting into the thick of some heavy, heavy stuff. So it's been fun and eye-opening and we're, we're enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. The show's already off to an awesome start. And, uh, and you hopped right into heavy topics for people. Um, <laughs> yeah, even my mom was like, man, could we have not started with that first call of the first show? But yeah, we're in it. They, it it's been a, a reminder to me just how much people are hurting across the country, just how much folks like you, social workers, counselors, teachers, ministers who are just working with people who are struggling all day, every day, hmm. what, what folks are dealing with all the time. It's a lot of pain out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's dive in um, kind of to this, the mental health topic. Um, maybe, uh, maybe for, for some of our listeners that have heard that term, you know, for years, mental health, but maybe they don't have an exact grasp on, on what all that entails. Um, could you break down like the basics of mental health for us as we start? Yeah, the, the way I like to distill down what is good mental health, what does that mean? That means you, you can go to bed. That means you've got people in your life that you trust that can help you when your mom gets sick, when you get a flat tire. That means that you've got peace in your heart. Not that everything's going to be well and okay, and that you're not going to experience sadness and extreme joy and frustration and anger, but it means that you're well. It means that you're whole, that you don't, you've, you've dealt with your past, you are building forward, forward towards the future, and you're also resilient enough to change course when necessary. Hmm. I also like to really, uh, I'm, I'm changing some of my language moving forward here, there's really not good science that backs up any differentiation between a mental health and physical health and even physical health and spiritual health. So we're, we're hearing these, this discussion about mindfulness and about mental health and body inflammation. What the doctors are realizing is what people have known for thousands of years, which is all of this stuff works together. Mm-hmm. And the, the spiritual body influences the mental part of your, your thinking, which influences your physiology and all of that works together. And so um, I'm even starting to steer away from using words like mental health. And I'm starting to just talk about people being whole human beings and all of the experiencing all of the roller coasters that is life. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, uh, let, let's dive into this. What does mental health look like to you um, coming out of this crazy 2020 that we've had? Mm. You know, there's some fascinating literature out there there's a buzz among mental health professionals and sleep doctors and physicians so there's kind of two schools of thought right now one of them is there's going to be a a massive bifurcation which is a nerd word of nerd way of saying it's just going to really split humanity um, there's a group of people who are learning resilience they are learning how to relive and love their families and in their communities. They are thinking through this mindless treadmill we've all been on for the last 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Mm. And they are moving, they're downsizing, they're leaving their state, they're, they're making these major life changes. And then there's another massive swath of people who are literally shriveling up in their own skin right now. They are lonely and disconnected and completely spun out. And their job is asking them to increase productivity with the same money or pay cuts. And they're asking to do them from home in an unfamiliar environment and teach your kids and, and, and. So 
Um, that's one school of thought. Another school of thought is there's going to be, if we thought the pandemic was bad, if we thought it, the, the COVID is bad, we have no idea the tsunami of mental health crisis we're going to have on the back of this thing. And if you're watching the data every day and seeing the spikes in anxiety and the spikes in depression and suicide ideation, that kind of stuff, it, there's some reason to be fearful about that. Mm. A third and un, not as much discussed option is, I tend to be an optimist by nature, um, is this. I actually think there's some really neat research coming out of sleep doctors who are saying the sleep, people wearing sleep trackers, people are sleeping more. They are sleeping deeper. They are breathing a little bit more. Um, they are having to deal with themselves because they can't just go numb it at a bar. They can't just go numb and be active and go to five concerts a week. And so I think that people are going to have to develop. And throughout history, we've seen people be resilient and rise up together. And so I think people are going to have to redefine what joy is and what activity means and what mm. patience and slowing down looks like. So I'm pretty optimistic, but those are kind of the three basic camps right now. Gotcha. Well, what do you, uh, since we're talking to our, our youth pastors primarily and youth leaders, what are you seeing um, mostly uh, for teenagers coming out of this season and, and maybe even young adults? Is it anxiety, depression, mm. uh, suicidal thoughts? What, what, are you, what are you seeing? I'm seeing a lot. And, and teenagers are the ones I'm the most worried about, to be honest with you. Um, teenagers and 50 to 60 year olds that had a trajectory and now all of a sudden that sucker's changed on them, taking a hard left turn there. Mm. Teenagers are a weird mix, right? And we know this because they're in adult bodies with adult desires and they are still co-regulated, meaning they still get who they are and what they should be about and what they like and what they don't like by their community, by those people around them. And we have just sucked that away overnight and really in many cases driven them further down the social media web hole, which I just abhor. I think it's evil for, for teenagers um, since there's always a place for them to see that they're not pretty enough or wealthy enough or good enough or smart enough or whatever. Mm. And so I think it, as for youth pastors, it just puts one more, one more gap in this idea of wholeness and connection that just, man, it's the worst. It's the worst. Wow. Um, and my, my pastor posed a question in a Zoom church a few weeks ago that has just rattled around my head. And I think this is a great question for youth pastors to be wrestling with. The question he asked was, now that Sunday morning church attendance has been taken off the table, for those of us whose identity or Christian identity was going to a place every Sunday, what is Christian, what's our Christian identity now? What does it mean? And we are no longer able to check a box because that box has been taken away from us. And so we're going to have to do hard soul searching. We're going to think all of us in who are Christians, all of us who work in the church are going to have to start asking, how are we giving? How are we serving? Are we have our eyes open for the, the least of these? And being a Christian is going to be different than putting on a tie and going to Sunday school and just repeating the same lines over and over and over and over and over again in our songs, right? It's just going to look very different. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a lot of our youth pastors uh, that I've talked to and, um, you know, we're seeing uh, seems like a little decline in like cases and things. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen youth groups are getting back together in person, mm-hmm. some for the first time in six months, uh, mm-hmm. uh, talking September 2020. Uh, in our case, we just had our first event last Sunday and we're going to mm-hmm. be together 
um, in person for weekly programming starting in October. So a lot of groups are starting to get back together. Um, and we're going to be around our students again, uh, mm-hmm. more than ever. So for our youth pastors, um, how can we most effectively help and counsel a, a teenager dealing with um, issues from this year uh, if we don't have a counseling degree? Or how can, how can our leaders um, help? Because we know we're going to have some students that that need help right now, you know? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the first word that comes to mind here, and this is a third rail word, it's become a politicized word. And so I, I hope the youth ministers listening to this will hear where my heart is on this, um, is this idea of hospitality, this idea of inclusivity, meaning there are going to be students who show up that their amygdala set off every alarm they have being around people, they haven't been around people for five months. They've been told by every news outlet on earth that people are the new weapon. And if you're around the wrong person, you're gonna get this illness and you're gonna die. And so being real gracious upfront with information, letting people know if you're uncomfortable here and you wanna sit in the corner by yourself until for the next month, next two months, until you reacclimate and you feel safe, you're welcome to do that. Mm-hmm. And really youth ministers can really lead the way and kind of letting the air out of this bravado. I still, for the life of me, dude, don't understand how this became a politicized issue. Um, And so letting people know, however you are feeling about getting back in touch with one another, your feelings are valid and it's okay. It's when you turn into a jerk and you start preaching at somebody else about this was all made up or we're all gonna die. Whatever your thing is, it's just about treating people with dignity and in with respect and youth ministers lead the way by not talking about it as much as as practicing it um and so just letting people know that they are welcome and they belong that is when the cornerstones of being well right it just lets all of your alarm systems go down and people feel welcome and when they feel welcome they feel whole when they feel whole then they can they'll share and be vulnerable with people and now you get into the work of jesus right so i am that's that's a big one number one i think another big one is for, for many youth ministers is knowing when you're over your head. And I was a youth ministry intern for two different summers. I went and flew and stayed in another city. I think most youth ministers go through that process and you follow another guy around or another woman around. And um, I think youth ministers are trained theologically. Often they are cha- trained programmatically. They're not often trained like, what do you do when somebody's suicidal, right? What do you do when someone's dad just died? And you can hurt people if you do you can plant seeds that insidious seeds that root and flower later that that can hurt generationally in those moments if they're not handled with grace and with someone who knows what they're doing Hmm. and so a brave youth minister a wise youth minister is somebody who knows i'm over my head and i've been doing crisis response work for almost two decades now and even i still step out and make phone calls to mentors and to people i trust and say hey i'm about to enter this space I'm going to say these things. Is this the right thing? And even now someone will say, Hey, I wouldn't say it like that, man. I would make sure you ask this question. I said, okay, yeah, you're right. So it's just knowing you're not supposed to solve everybody's problems. You don't have to be the hero. Sometimes the most heroic thing you can do is step back and pass somebody on to a professional. So it's just knowing when you're over your head. And then the third thing is just reach out, be in constant communication, send handwritten letters, call people. Um, I hate texting, but text if you've got it right. But, take the lead in reaching out and connecting, connecting, connecting as much as possible. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, for, um, 
for our youth pastors that might want to study up on on some uh you know counseling tips or whatever mm. it might be do you have any book recommendations or a website article uh any- Ooh, what a great question that's a fantastic question so i would send folks just for broad pictures you can go to counselorinsider.com i that's just delivered to my box uh my email box once a month and it just has some counselor email uh counselory type things in it you know what i mean it's it's for therapists for counselors so it's a good way just to pick up some low-hanging fruit some good information and there's stuff that are going to rub youth ministers the wrong way they can just go to the next article right um the most important book i've read as a man growing up in a christian home and also i asked my wife to read it too and was a book that's not christian at all but it is a book um, called I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terrence Real. Anyone who's followed me knows I talk about this book all the time. Um, it's a book called The Secret Legacy of Male Depression. I don't like the subtitle. I wish I had a different subtitle because anytime it says male depression, I'm, I'm out, right? Because I'm not depressed. I'm good. Um, but it was a powerful reframing of how we are raising young people, how young people are brought into the fold, and the long-term ripple effects, both positive and negative, of just the, the air we breathe right now. And it was a healing book for me. It was a rethinking and reframing, but more importantly, it changed almost overnight the way I deal with my son, the way I deal with my daughter, and the way I deal with the parents of the kids around me. Wow, awesome. That was a powerful book, yeah. Um, And how to, oh gosh, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'm going to email it to you. There's one other book that I'll send to you. Um, I think it's called How to Deal with Image... Emotionally Immature Parents. That's another non-Christian book, but it's phenomenal too. It was, it was outstanding. All right, good deal. Yeah, our youth pastors uh, know all about working with parents. So, Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, yes. You know what? Uh, this wasn't in our, our uh, questions, but let's talk about parents real quick. What, what are some uh, – Would do you have any tips on dealing with the teens' parents? You know, we get maybe <laughs> two hours a week uh, to, to, you know, be a healthy adult in our – our students' lives, but the parents are with them way more often than we are. How can we partner with with parents? Any tips there? Yeah, I, I think, man, that's a great question. Bringing parents into the conversation, number one, there's, there's class, and you've dealt with them, there's youth ministers who are like, dude, I'm the guy, I'm the woman, I don't need anybody else, I've got this. Mm. And then there are those who are wise and know that, like you just mentioned, my influence is teeny tiny, you're a seed planter, but the people who water those seeds and till the soil or the, or the families. Right. Mm. And so again, going back to what I was talking about with, um, with young people is being hospitable and inclusive, inviting parents in, letting them voice their concerns, their fears. You know what? This is, this brings me to this and I can get sideways here. So ring me back in. Um, one of my biggest frustrations working in colleges was some of my colleagues used to roll their eyes and mock parents. I can't believe these parents are calling or emailing or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And one day it hit me, this is their most precious thing on earth. Like their kid is the most important thing in their world. And it's the most real-time reflection of who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Those of us with kids know when our kid mouths off like, Oh, they got that from me, right? Or they slam a door or they twist the truth a little bit. Mm. Kids learn those things, right? And usually they learn them from their parents. And so moms and dads should be calling, 
right? We, as people who work with young people, we should expect and invite their parents in. So it's when I made that switch in my head and started proactively going towards parents and saying, what are y'all experiencing? How are you feeling? And not being upset when they called me, they didn't like my theology or they didn't like my, the way I handled a certain situation. What they were really saying was, I love my son or daughter so much that I want to defend them. I want to help them. And then it's my job as a teacher to teach mom and dad. Sometimes the more you defend them and help them, the more you're hampering them, right? And all those kind of things that all youth ministers deal with. But I really think on the front end for the next few months, let parents call you and be nervous. Let them be scared. Let them roll off their revelation, apocalypse thoughts. This is all coming down. This is it. Or their, uh, you know, their political, this isn't like, just invite it, be that person. And then make sure as a youth minister, you've got somebody you can talk to to offload that baggage that you are by profession and, and calling are taking on. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Just get in the middle of it, man. Invite them in, let them talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, communication has always been important, but um, it, more than ever in 2020, right. Uh, when we're all isolated from each other. So but a lot of youth ministers, and this is not just youth ministers, counselors, therapists, everybody, a lot of youth ministers say we have open door policies, meaning hmm. you can come to me, right? And we've all dated people that were like, well, you just never called. And I've always thought, well, the phone works the other way. You call me, right? Hmm. And so I think where, where youth ministers can really bless their people that, are, that they're working with is to communicate out. You go first. You start reaching out to parents. You start putting it on the table. Some of you think this is fake. And this whole thing's been a ruse to get rid of the president. Some of you think, I've heard that what I heard the other day is this is a uh, left wing, COVID was a left wing ruse to, what was it, to, oh, to end churches in the United States. Some kind of great, what are you talking about, right? You put it out there as youth ministers. Put all that stuff on the table and let parents know wherever you fall, your kid's welcome here. You're welcome here. And we're all going to take wobbly, crooked steps forward trying to navigate this with one understanding. And that is we want to continue to show that your kids that they belong. And we're going to continue to show them Jesus. Mm-hmm. And But by communicating first and going forward, that proactive step is going to pay a lot of dividends when it comes to trust and relationship building. Absolutely. Man, that's so good. So, so good. Um, with this year, uh, I know our, our leaders, our pastors, um, business owners, uh, gotten a lot of, um, I don't know the word, Um, a a lot of, they've carried a lot of stress and have gotten Mm -hmm. a lot of reactions on every spot of the spectrum from people. Um, So no one has been exempt from the stress and pressure of 2020. Um, I I had a pastor call me just this morning, uh, Dr. D, and, and he said, man, we're, we're looking for a, a youth pastor. I just want to know if you have any peers that are looking for a, a job. Everything mm-hmm. going on this year has just been too much uh, on our student pastor and, mm-hmm. and they're stepping down because they, they can't take it. So I, I know we've all been through this year. How can our youth pastors um, lead an effective team and lead our students through something that we're going through ourselves? Oh, dude, this question hits near and dear to my heart. Um, we're working, we're finishing up a book here at Ramsey that kind of puts a little bit of a glimpse into my own personal story, but Mm. I can distill down. Um, I've spent some time researching this. I've spent years working with pastors and ministers behind closed doors, very similar to lawyers and doctors and college presidents, folks who are looked to in their community or in their profession as the go-to person. 
Mm. And here's the deal. There's this thing called secondary traumatic stress. You may have talked about it on this podcast, but this idea that we think stress or trauma is when somebody gets hit by a car, somebody's abused. And what we've never really thought through as a research community or as folks who train youth ministers is this idea of secondary traumatic stress. And it is real as real can be. It is when you deal in the pain of other people all day, or the way I like to describe it is bricks. We all have our own bricks in our backpack, but when our job as a nurse or a pastor or a, a counselor is to go to somebody else and take their bricks from them, we have to have mechanisms to put those down or they will bury us, they'll cripple us wow. and you'll fall over. And so you see youth ministers, especially, especially young, young men and women, who have this low level hum of anxiety, this low level, it's 1130 and I'm just going back to another episode of the office, another episode of the office, this low level depression that just slowly takes the taste out of our food, um, slowly makes us a little bit bigger. We eat a little bit more, we move a little bit less because we always have this fatigue, right? Those are all signals that um, we're carrying too much, too many bricks. And so I will plead and I don't like to beg, but I will plead and announce from every rooftop I can get on a youth minister has to have either a professional counselor in their life or a pastor or mentor, not at the church that they work at and not their boss wow. or not their elders that they can go unload things off to. Cause here's the catch 22. And you know, this right. Youth ministers are faced with, they get two elders who are said, hey, we're, we're been assigned to walk alongside you hmm. and we're to walk with you. And the challenge is if somebody's struggling with something and they lay it out, those are the two guys that are also responsible for firing you, right? And for telling the, the, the head pastor, the executive minister, whatever church function you're in. And so people end up just saying nothing. And police experience this. If a doctor says, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety, that's a quick way to get pulled out of rotation, which means that's a quick way to lose your license, right? So they just stop talking about it. And so many professions deal with this, but youth ministers especially, you've got to have people in your life that you can unload these bricks, that you can talk with and be vulnerable with. And where most do is they get quiet, they they dump it on their spouse. They use their spouse as a garbage can. They just come home. Can you believe this parent? Can you believe this parent? Or the head pastor is crazy and they just, or these elders are just whatever the, the system you're in. But you've got to have people outside your system that you can support. I'm a big, big advocate of churches funding counseling services for their ministers and their families outside of campus. And if that doesn't happen, that needs to be something that every church invests in because you're looking at a long-term strategy. To be more practical, just think of yourself as a um, someone who works in the sewers. And at the end of every day, you got to hose your boots off, man. You can't just go march into your house with that stuff. Wow. And so you've got to have a system and a practice for putting that stuff down and then going in. That way you can be whole in front of your wife or your husband. You can be whole in front of your family, in front of your kids. And that increases the longevity of the position. But more importantly, it lets you be whole and present with somebody else bringing their new brick to you, right? Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, very, very good. I can and, get pretty fired up about that one, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 gonna help everyone uh, listening. Um, speaking of of the home and um, the uh, 
you know, uh, your youth pastor, um, maybe you have a, a, a wife, a, a husband for your female leader. Um, and like, like we've talked about, these are typically a, a newlyweds or a young family, first kid. Um, can we dive into maybe some more uh, tips for uh, not blending uh, work and home? Yeah. So first and foremost, beyond any and all things, if you're a young newlywed minister, your marriage comes first. Full stop, period at the end of that sentence. All bets are off anything else, right? Mm. And it's very easy to begin to, those worlds merge and suddenly Wednesday night churches and Tuesday night um, youth activities with the middle school and then Thursday night with the high school. Suddenly it just absorbs your life. And like any helping profession, working at a church, it will take at whatever you were willing to give and then a little bit more, right? And so it's the, the, the goal for married couples, especially young married couples. And I say that if you've been married 40 years and you're a pastor, you've got to get with your partner offsite and develop, here's our values, here are our boundaries. And then you go find a church that fits with those boundaries, not the other way around. You can't mold your marriage to fit into your church because your church will take it from you. Not in an evil way, but they just will because there's always somebody else hurting. The second thing is, and I hope this isn't trite and you can cut this out if, uh, <laughs> if you need to clean it up. Um, one of the things that goes first in a youth ministry couple especially is their sex life, their intimacy life, their connection, they're looking each other in the eye and having deep conversations because mm. whoever the pastor is, they're doing deep conversations as a job. Mm. And then when they come home, they just want to relax. And the first thing that goes is it, they start to slowly do this from their partner and their partner doesn't want to bother them, doesn't want to. And so they start holding a little bit more in and those little bit more turn into secrets and those secrets turn into alternative worlds. Right. And so it's always making sure that you and your partner are super connected, that husbands and wives are talking all the time. They're asking questions like, what's your picture of today look like? What do you want? What's today? What's going to be a good day for you? What's our week going to look like? And really being intentional about skin to skin contact, hand holding, talking to each other, looking each other in the eye and, um, and making sure that that is a high, high priority. Man. Yeah. That's so, uh, so helpful. So good. If you had a room full of, of youth pastors in this moment, what would you say to them? Exhale. And they're not going to solve all the problems today. And they are playing an infinite game. They are playing a long-term game. Mm -hmm. And this is not a, in fact, they're not even playing a game. They are making relationships that are eternal. Mm -hmm. And the temptation to get kids baptized or to grow the size of the youth group or to have more programs, there is a, what I'll call a Western business-sized is that even a word? I just made up a word, man. Like a business-sized approach to ministry these days, to mm. youth ministry where they're judged on size and impact and scope and read emails. And brother, that's not relationship. Mm. And so true ministry takes years. True ministry is messy. It takes a lot of forgiveness and grace and pardon and wisdom. And so I would tell a group of young youth ministers, you don't know anything. You're learning, be humble, 
and just be willing to walk alongside people and love them. And sometimes the most lovely thing you can do is not say anything, just be a good presence. Just keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up. Mm. And sometimes those are more important than having off the cuff C.S. Lewis ripped off answers to hard theological questions, right? Mm. Presence, presence, presence. And know when you're over your head theologically, spiritually, psychologically, and you can have people in your back pocket that you can refer folks to. I think that's a great, great gift. I just know the pressure. I remember the pressure of being young youth pastor. And I just thought I had to know it all right now and solve all this problem and that problem and that problem. And that's just not the truth. But that pressure feel that pressure is real. Mm, for sure. How can we ins- inspire our youth team members to help us carry the load of, of focusing on three or four students themselves? I think that that starts with modeling. You've got to live it and you've got to live it by setting boundaries and you've got to live it by parents calling you at 2 a.m. on a Friday to come over yet again because Timmy's sad and you saying no. I'll talk to them tomorrow at noon. They can come by my office or we'll meet at a coffee shop. Mm. And it's it's modeling boundaries. Um, Backing up a little bit. There's this notion that everybody gets a vote, everybody gets a, everybody's voice counts, everybody's opinion matters. And what's been real important to me as I've made my way through higher education and became a senior leader at a college with you know, hundreds of people reporting up through my divisions to this crazy adventure I'm on now where I'm yip-yapping on the radio for a living has been I have four or five men in my life who I – have called on the phone and said, I'm giving you permission to speak into my life. Mm. I'm giving you permission to call me out. If you see me say something on the radio or on a YouTube show, or you read something I write and you say, this is dishonest or this isn't Deloney, call me. And that's actually happened. I posted something on Instagram that I thought was hilarious. And a buddy of mine called me and said, take that down. It's not funny. It makes you sound like a jerk and it's not what you're trying to communicate. And I took it down because I, I have given him permission to speak into my life. Mm. But what that means is the other million people that listen to me every week don't get a vote. They don't get to speak into it. And so the beauty of what Jesus had was he had an inner circle that he trusted. And then he had a, a, a larger circle there. And then he was able to wade through the the Pharisees, right? The He's able to wade through the scholarly theological minds of the time. He was able to wade through the people and man, their insults and barbs and traps, uh, dude, I'm just, I'm, I'm not dealing with that. Right. You don't get, you don't get a vote. Mm-hmm. Only a few people get a vote. And I, I, I think that's a great model. Um, that's hard, right? I've been doing this for a long time and that's hard to do, but it's, you got to do it. And then you, once you model it, then you bring people around you and you say, these are your four. These are only your four. And that's who you're responsible for. And then you've got to do the hard work as a youth minister of telling 45-year-old go-getters, you overstepped your boundaries. I need you to be in this boundary. I'm going to need you to not be in this program. And dude, that's so easy to say. It's so hard though. I know it is. No, that's good though. Um, Let's let's touch on social media. Um, It's the devil. What uh, what would you say? Uh, what's what's happening in this season? Are we? You mentioned uh, you know eleven thirty p.m. office marathon, mm. you know things like that, or just scrolling through YouTube or, or Instagram, Facebook for for hours. What would you say to youth leaders that really need to be focused right now? Man, I got so many thoughts on that one, dude. Um, at the end of the day, here's where we are. We have neuroscientists, brain doctors, who are partnering with marketing firms 
to set off our brain alarms that are designed to keep us alive. And they are happening without our knowledge, without our understanding of how they work. Hmm. That's capitalism at its finest, all fair and good. That's fine. That's good, right? Go get them, guys. They're allowed to do that. My job is to understand what's happening. I'll be a, a great case study. I've never had Instagram. I had Facebook like in college and then I got off. I mean, it just, it was and it, when my granddad, my grandpa was like 115 years old. When he first uh, asked to be my friend, I was like, all right, dude, we're out. <laughs> and um, I got Instagram to join as I joined this job. And dude, I came in, here's my boundaries. I will never set, send a tweet. Somebody else tweets on my behalf. They take words that I say and they send them out. Um, I don't even know how to log into my own Facebook account here. Somebody's taking my Instagram posts and and making them Facebooky and putting them up that way. Hmm. I said, as a part of my job, I will just use Instagram. And dude, within two months, two months, uh, having never had it, I teach about addiction and psychology and emotional regulation. Dude, I was, my kids were like, hey, dad. I'm like, hold on, man. I'm just scrolling like a mindless idiot, hmm. man. And it's, it's as simple as I, I can take cocaine recreationally, man. I'm just going to do coke a few days a week, and that's cool. And mm-hmm. anyone who's ever known anything about cocaine knows you can't do it recreationally. It just takes over your soul, man. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's understanding that social media is that dangerous. The other side of it is, I have to be honest, it's allowed me to, to connect with people all over the world. It's allowed me to get in some information and some hearts um, and minds and eyeballs into some things that I think is important for people to see. And so the way I've tried to wrestle with it in my head is kind of like the demon of an eating disorder. The, if you are an addict, if you're an alcohol addict, you can never go to a bar again, not have alcohol in your house. You can cut that out of your life. You can cut those people out of your life and choose to live a life free of alcohol. If you have an eating disorder, an addiction to food, whether it's too much or too little, you've got to make peace with food because you got to have that every day, right? And so that's a different type of demon and social media, media in general is becoming that way, which is, it's just ubiquitous. My kid's on a screen now. I hate every second of it. Um, but here's the boundaries I'll tell you in my life. And your listeners may be like, this guy's crazy, but here's my personal boundaries. Mm-hmm. Number one, I have Instagram on a separate work phone and it's a separate phone and it's just got Instagram on it. I don't have it on my personal phone. That means I've got one more layer to log into. I don't just mindly going to scroll through it. The second thing is now I leave it in my bag and I leave it in my basement, which means I got to go downstairs to go get on it. Mm. And so I'm, again, I'm putting hurdles in the way. The third thing is people know in my world, if you need me, call me, or if you need me, text me. I, and I've been real open about, don't just send me direct messages, man. I'm not going to, it may be two days before I get into those or four days before I get into them. Um, The third thing is, is I am psychotic about my kids and screens. And right, wrong, or indifferent. We'll find out in 20 years if I was wrong. But, um, dude, one of my pet peeves is when people say, my nine-year-old's addicted to an iPad or my 13-year-old is addicted to video games. And, dude, that makes me crazy, man. Mm. Because as the parent, you're in control. You can take the controllers and smash every iPad and put them in the trash and drive them out and put them in a lake somewhere, right? Moms and dads have to regain control of their homes. And it will be uncomfortable and it will be temper tantrumy and all that. And that's fine. That stuff will go away. My promise is at the end of the day, a kid would much rather play baseball with dad 
much rather cook something with dad. They'd much rather cook something with mom, paint something. It, they'd much rather be engaged as much as, as, it e as easy it is to hand somebody a screen. So um, I have to recognize the power of those things. They're not passive. They're not little. And also making sure my feed, my Instagram feed has voices that I vehemently disagree with. That's another thing that I think youth ministers can do is to make sure they know what's going on out in the world. And so I've got people on my feed that would make Donald Trump blush that they are so far to the right that he'd be like, whoa, guys. And I've got people on my feed that make Bernie Sanders look a little bit right of center, right? That are so like, what are you talking, right? That are just all over the place. I've got atheists on my feed. I've got hardcore Christians on my feed. I want to know what's going on out in the world, but I also want to make sure I don't get stuck in a loop-de-loop -loop vacuum vortex of just a re rinse and repeat of the things I already believe. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. Great, uh, great idea. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. No, man. Thanks, dude. I love what you're doing. I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, any closing thoughts, maybe a final remark or inspiration that you'd give our youth leaders? It's this. Don't quit. Mm. Please don't quit. Our kids need you. Our families need you. They need you to be whole and they need youth ministers to be well. And sometimes being exhausted and being frustrated and being angry and being fed up doesn't mean you're in the wrong place or in the wrong job. It means you're doing hard, holy work. Hmm. And I want pastors to never forget that Jesus got down in the garden and said, dad, do we have to do this? Hmm. And Jesus himself was like, man, could there please be another way? And Doubt's okay. Frustration's okay. Big questions are okay. But I want youth ministers to get the resources they need to stick it out and to, and to remember that passion. Remember why they got into it in the first place. Um, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because you disagree with your eldership doesn't mean you're not in the right place. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Thank you so much. Man, you're a saint, dude. Thanks for letting me hang out for a little while. Absolutely. Uh, where, where can people uh, connect with you? Find you? You're on Instagram. So what, yeah, what dude, they can go to the, uh, to the internets, man. Um, you can find me at John Deloney and you can find me on the YouTube show and the Dr. John Deloney show um, on wherever you get podcasts. I'd love for everybody to join us. And if youth ministers listen and want to ride in and we may do a youth minister only show someday, or if they've got particular questions about their marriages or their lives, come on, man, let's do it. I want to make sure everybody's whole and, and doing good. We need you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No, thank you, brother. Have a good one. You too. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We are praying for you and we believe in you. Thank you for all that you are doing for students and for youth ministry. If this episode has helped you, provided insight or encouragement, we encourage you to send this out to your youth pastor friends, text this to your youth team members, and we can all grow together. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, find us at uh, under our handle, at Rush Students, and we'd love to connect with you. And once again, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you will help us so much by leaving a rating and review. Hey, we can't wait to hang out with you next time. My name is Preston Keller, and you have been listening to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. Yeah.